ऑडियो स्टोरीज फ्रॉम सैनिटी बाय तोनमॉय एन इंडिपेंडेंट प्लेटफॉर्म डेडिकेटेड टू द पॉलिटिक्स इकोनॉमिक्स एंड कल्चर ऑफ मेंटल हेल्थ प्लीज नोट नथिंग इन दिस स्टोरी इज इंटेंडेड टू बी मेडिकल एडवाइस इफ यू सफर फ्रॉम एनी ऑफ द कंडीशंस डिस्क्राइब्ड हियर प्लीज सीक प्रोफेशनल हेल्प ट्रिगर वार्निंग contains reference to self harm please do not listen if you find the subject distressing i also want to address the fact that when people say that they will not consider faith and they will not consider religion or spirituality i think it's a very elitist stance mm-hmm. and i'll tell you why because for the common man in a country like india and you can see it with our grandmothers our aunts people within our families you don't have to go very far uh for centuries those of us who have not had access to therapists and counselors and people educated with ivy league degrees and formal ways of uh, disseminating uh, a therapeutic process have gone to religion i do have clients for instance who come and say that's a so and so psychotherapist was very good i really liked them but i didn't like their politics i didn't like their ideology i didn't they 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 felt too bigoted to me uh they would not understand my spiritual leanings i felt afraid to tell them uh, i have even had clients who come and tell me i didn't feel they could handle it if i told them i had suicidal ideations so you have situations where the client is looking after the therapist uh which should not be the case I guess if somebody were to um say that they talk to god uh, on a daily basis uh, there would be uh, a quick reference would be made to the dsm5 and a diagnosis would be fi- found for it <laughs> and a pathology would be ascribed to it um yeah, you can't, uh, we can't we can't bring that kind of judgment you know we can't we yeah, can't bring that yeah. judgment to people <laughs> only um if you've noticed a couple of weeks since i started uh, posting my tarot you know i put out a tarot card and i do like a i don't do divination but i like to use the cards for symbolism and i've always been attached to the cards now for almost 20 years i would say hmm. but i have never told anybody because i have always thought that i would be seen as a mumbo jumbo person today's episode faith versus therapy A devastating pandemic is a complicated time in our relationship with faith. We are drowning in shock and grief, believing that there's still something out there, a benign energy, a force worthy of our faith, is for some of us more difficult than ever. The fact that large religious gatherings functioned as super spreaders during the pandemic does not help the mood. At the same time there's enough research that shows leaning on faith can accelerate well-being during a crisis. I read a piece on the BBC the other day that said people in Toronto who would never set foot inside a church or a synagogue earlier are now paying attention to faith. Attendance has increased as have donations. Personally I have an up and down relationship with faith. I do occasionally touch my forehead when I find myself in a tight corner. But usually I tend to find succor in therapy instead of spirituality or god. That has been the case through the pandemic too. Then recently I read a few tweets by the author and mind body spirit therapist Gayatri Jairaman that gave me pause. Jairaman said some of her clients had left their existing therapists because they weren't able to discuss faith or spirituality with them. 
that's when it struck me. In the past three years that I have been seeing my current therapist, I haven't spent even three minutes discussing faith. There was a time in my life when I tried everything to free myself from my depression, including the energy healing practice Reiki, even past life regression. At the time, these experiences had left a big impact on me. So why have I never brought it up with my therapist? Even though we've talked about the most random details of my life. Am I ashamed of this quote-unquote irrational side of my personality? I did some digging and it turns out I'm not alone. Therapy, particularly in its Western forms, where empirical evidence is often valorized over an individual's lived experience, isn't too compatible with faith. Faith can be messy. It does not sit well within any therapeutic framework whose goal is to fix you and get you to think logically, whatever that means. But now, more than ever, there is no bypassing the question of faith. So for this episode, I asked Gayatri Jayaraman to help me negotiate this complex question. How do we create space for faith in therapy? And how do we protect ourselves from spiritual snake oil sellers? Jairaman is a former journalist whose writing I follow regularly. Her work as a therapist is steeped in Buddhist influences. She is also trained in counselling psychology. She graciously fielded my questions and made me challenge several of my own assumptions about therapy, including the need for it to be a quote-unquote secular space. Please note, this interview is not an endorsement of any religious, spiritual or therapeutic method or practice. Neither Gayatri nor I want you to take anything here as gospel truth. The goal is simply to start a conversation on this complex subject and encourage questions. This is the longest episode I've recorded so far, so sit back with a cup of tea and enjoy. All right, Gayatri, um, thank you so much um, for talking to me uh, for RAW, which is my series of audio stories on lived experiences of mental health challenges. Um, I have been following your work on Twitter and on your website for some time now, and I find it very interesting, the mix of uh, uh, therapeutic traditions that you bring to bear in your work. A uh, lot of spirituality, a lot of uh, meditation. You talk about Buddhist influences in your work. And, uh, you know, perhaps you'd like to kick off this conversation by talking a little bit about, you know, those, those particular tweets that drew my attention about the tension between faith and therapy. So if you could just maybe give us a bit of a backstory of how those tweets came to be, and then um, we can take it from there. Okay, great. Thank you so much for having me on your um, show and your podcast, uh, Tanmoy. Of course, I also follow everything that you do, including your newsletter. And you have a fascinating range and ability to uh, just pick out, you know, um, these nuances that very few people sort of are able to hone into. So I'm very grateful to be able to access that knowledge through you. Uh, and the way in which you put it out. Um, and uh, this is a great subject that you've, you've picked up and uh, I'm so glad that you've uh, caught it um, because very few people do. And one of the reasons why I uh, put out those tweets is again, I had an inquiry from a client who, and not for the first time, who wanted to move on from a psychotherapist who 
they did not feel comfortable talking about their personal spiritual orientations from with and um this i've seen happen again and again across uh, religious preferences across even people who are atheists and who are not particularly uh, you know belonging to a church or a tradition or a um a sect of any sort i have uh, clients from all kinds of um uh religious backgrounds um and i think that's the fundamental distinction i want to make firstly is that religion is not spirituality you can be a scientist and i do have scientist clients who are uh spiritual um i do also have people who are atheists who are spiritual and um so spirituality i think i very intentionally uh put into my practice for two reasons one is the sort of educational background that i come from and uh secondly from a belief that you cannot if you cut out somebody's spiritual orientation uh you are not treating the whole person right so i do have certification in uh, indian culture and philosophy and spirituality um but what and my earlier upbringing was in a convent school mm-hmm. and um so a convent school in korekanal in tamil nadu as well as a british school in lagos nigeria where we where we had um uh, a study of the bible the children's bible right. so luckily for me by the time i have come to um now i'm i'm 44 i've taken up vipassana around 4 years ago uh so by the time i've come to that i have been through a certain number of traditions in terms of actually studying them and i think it's very important to have studied them not so that you become religious but so that you know when people are bullshitting you okay it's kind of like when you know your grammar you can play with your grammar mm-hmm. and a lot of what i do has very consciously been to reclaim spirituality from all the religious one mumbo jumbo to fundamentalism three bs that sort of goes around in the name of it and um the thing is the more you read or the more you know the more you realize you have the right to claim what works for you i i am now by practice a buddhist in a number of uh tradition so i'm a vipassana practitioner i'm also a member of something known as the nyandrogar which is uh, the nyandros are the preliminary practices of the kagyu tradition um so i work under an instructor who's in berlin so these two form the fundamentals of my personal practice but my engagement with all this does not make me religious mm-hmm. i don't light lamps i don't go to temples i don't worship i don't pray and there's a huge difference and that is the difference that i keep trying to bring to uh my practice and that's the reason so i came to counseling psychology through this mediums through these varied mediums and therefore i could have very easily gone on and been a healer you know you can cross yeah. your legs sit down and tell people now i'm going to heal you uh, because i've done all this practice and this work for the past 20 25 years of my life you just come here I'll, i'll chant mantras and you'll be fine yeah but that's uh, and that does exist in our country and the reason why i specifically decided to go into counseling psychology is because i believe that counseling gives us the ethical 
structure as well as the formal structure of practice as well as the scientific mind the inquiry and evidence based process mm. that allows us to get into spirituality from a rational plane Hmm. okay so the purpose of meditation is not to give you a fantasy in which to escape it is to allow you to see your reality more clearly and that's what the buddha also says he says yata bhuta jnana dasana to see reality as it is that should be the function of your spirituality anything right. that is giving you an escape a fantasy is no different from weed Yeah, no. I just so many thoughts. Uh, uh, fascinating uh, topic. I uh, must confess, like I said uh, when I was emailing you, I have a slightly unsure relationship with all of this, with religion, with spirituality. Um, I have uh, tried uh, almost all forms of healing and therapy in my life, uh, including past life regression. I'm a Reiki practitioner, um, so I have been through that journey, but I haven't really been able to. and i think right now what i have for the past 4 years what has gotten my uh, full support and investment is uh, psychodynamic uh, psychotherapy which has really really brought me back from a very precarious uh, situation in my life so i really swear by that um you um, you you uh, said some interesting things about sort of scientific temperament that counseling psychology training in counseling psychology helped you inculcate very orthodox uh, mindset that what cannot be borne out by evidence um is not deserving of respect um and that is where i think a lot of the arguments with faith as a subject in therapy stems from so how, how do you see that sort of tension and how have you negotiated specifically in your practice okay that's a great question and uh, in fact it's something i've just addressed in yesterday's newsletter that i put out uh, which is called meaning matlab kya uh, and it's about how you know they you can't ha- you can't do science without faith okay mm-hmm. and i'll tell you why um there is um i'll tell you this with a koan so dogen zenji is a zen master who wrote this uh, uh large voluminous work uh called the genjo koan and a koan in zen is a sort of ambiguous puzzle sort of uh, uh, a word puzzle uh which leaves the outcome ambiguous and you have to find your own answer but there are a couple of lines in that which he says uh which is seeing the truth is like setting sail in a boat out to the middle of the ocean and when you leave the shore you have no clue what the ocean looks like when you get to the middle of the ocean you're convinced that the ocean is a circle because if you stand up in your boat and you look around what you will see is a circle but the reason you see a circle is because that is what your mind recognizes based on what it already knows and what it already defines a circle to be based on what we already know so the point is that the truth that we seek standing from where we are will always be based on where we are I have come thus far this is what I know therefore my mind allows me to only see a circle okay because I have studied a circle I cannot imagine something I absolutely do not know and here's the reason why science does not exist without faith before you send a probe out to the father's farthest extent of the universe you have to believe that there is something there you have to believe fundamentally that there are things your mind does not know 
and that is faith if you already knew everything or if you already knew everything that you did not know you don't need to explore it the the fundamental basis of science is faith because you have to believe that there are things beyond your capacity right now and therefore it is worth studying it and exploring it but the practice of studying it yeah. needs to be methodical it needs to be systematic and it needs to make sense everything that science uses at its tools as its tools today from logic to um neti neti which is uh, elimination mm-hmm. uh all of them have come from metaphysical studies whether it's aristotle whether it's plato whether it's socrates whether it's logic whether it's argument whether it's debate these are all tools of epistemological studies and mm-hmm. the buddha i feel is one of the most um, rational and logical of all these systems because he uh, he constantly said question me don't believe things just because i'm saying so and mm-hmm. i think we need to shift the onus of belief to religion and keep the arguments of uh, debate and logic to spirituality and the thing is that um and uh, the buddha says it very clearly he says make sure you don't carry the boat once you reach the other side of the river on your head you know if you've used an instrument to cross the river leave it at the shore and walk on don't turn it into something that you worship and they're very categorical about these things i just wanted to correct you you said i i got the scientific temperament from counseling no i got the scientific temperament from the spirituality from the buddhism from the hinduism mm-hmm. uh in terms of the epistemological structure right what right. i went to counseling for was the formal uh implementation structure right. things right. like ethics Mm. uh keeping your distance from a client or a patient um mm. the ways in which these higher logic um systems can be put into use for clients on a day to day basis right uh and the reason for that is um that these systems already have it but also mm. um they use tools like meditation that are very invasive hmm and if you do not we do not live in a time and age where we sit with gurus for 20 years and learn it on a systematic basis when you do that the way in which you descend into your subconscious is very gradual it's very hmm. graduated and there is supervision uh because meditation is essentially a walk about in the subconscious hmm and you can't just go in there and rip the lid off and and just deal with everything that comes out you don't do that even in meditation systems what is happening is people are taking these age old systems modifying them into a modern tool without uh by stripping it of all the philosophical and ideological bases yeah. and uh, then dealing with the repercussions yeah i that <clears throat> that to me is also interesting because i think a lot of that stripping away um you know and um sort of focus on immediate payoffs because the act of delving into something at length um and that journey into your into your core and unraveling sort of layer by layer by layer 
um, requires a very long, uh, of, often, not always, but often requires a long-term commitment to the process. For instance, in my case, I have been uh, in therapy for now six years, five, five and a half, six years. And I know the cadence of that space. Um, and so I go into therapy without expecting a big breakthrough every time. Uh, the, the process itself is its own reward, in a manner of speaking. Um, but, and, and once again, uh, if you look at even the sort of the, um, the, the war between uh, psychoanalysis and CBT, uh, it mm. is rooted in exactly this to an extent, right? That CBT yeah. is about more immediate problem solving, uh, um, um, a more sort of uh, almost like an engineering mindset to problem solving, whereas psychoanalysis asks you difficult questions, you sort of pushes you inwards and then brings you forward. Um, so, um, and then of course, there is this tussle about which is more evidence-backed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so in your, in your experience, in your community of, uh, uh, you know, uh, practitioners who are eclectic, who follow a lot of diverse sort of uh, influences, what are some of the things you're picking up in terms of, you know, how are they negotiating? Because we are living through a moment where uh, I can imagine a lot of people would be leaning increasingly to faith uh, for answers. At the same time, a lot of people are also questioning the whole idea of faith. Okay, uh, that's a really great question. Um, the way that I would be able to answer it is only from my community point of view, which is uh, Vipassana. Um, and Vipassana is uh, boringly practical and pragmatic. Mm -hmm. um, it's just um, uh, a very bare bones looking at um, sensations. Um, uh to explain this, I need to give you a little bit, I'll try and give it as briefly as possible as how, as to how Buddhism sort of looks at meditation. Sure. Uh, basically, there is a chain, right? So there are sensory inputs that come at us. Right. They come through the five senses. They, let's say you've said a word to me, right? My mind receives the word. Mm -hmm. I cognize it. Okay, a word. And then I recognize it and I say, okay, is the word praise or is it an insult? If it's praise, it creates a pleasant sensation in me. If it's an insult, it creates an unpleasant sensation in me. Those are bodily sensations. Right. And as we know, the body bears the brunt of all our, uh, you know, sensations. Yeah. Based on that, I decide to react. I have an emotion yeah. and, based and I might choose to give expression to that emotion. Right. This is a very logical chain of uh, processes that happens when we react, which even Gestalt uses as an experience cycle. Um, when you meditate, all you're doing is you're inserting a pause, you observe the cycle and you insert a pause between the emotion that is rising and your expression of it. Mm -hmm. So all you're saying is, yes, I see this chain, I see the input, I see the resulting cognition, recognition, sensation, emotion. I'm not obliged to react. I'm not obliged to express it. So if you see, it's a very, um, of course, it takes a lot of practice to put it into daily, uh, you know, application. But this is pretty much it. So when things are coming at you, yeah. uh, a balanced practice of any meditative form, any meditative form, 
should give you the sort of pause between your emotion and your reaction mm-hmm. okay where faith goes into blaming okay uh is when you expect not this reaction where there is no not an observation of the chain but the expectation of some sort of miraculous intervention mm-hmm. that there is an illness the government has sort of abandoned us people don't know what to do medicines are not available where is god mm-hmm. okay when you follow a meditative chain at least in the buddhist or the vedic system it has to be this has happened we have no control over external factors the internal factors are giving me a lot of rage a lot of grief a lot of sorrow if i react i will only be piling on to my grief my rage my sorrow therefore i will not react mm. okay and what that does is it doesn't take away your problem mm. it allows you to cope with the problem and not add to the problem okay, i have a question there um yeah. and this is uh, sort of tied to the uh, the the idea of intersectionality right that mental health is intersectional traditionally therapy was this neutral space or sort of the therapist is the tabula rasa on, on whom the client is supposed to project their emotions um and therefore it was a very apolitical space as well but with the idea of intersectionality becoming more and more powerful and the and and sort of this uh, gaining currency that a person suffering in is not just theirs alone uh, and that they are not to be blamed if there are social forces at work that often push people to despair therapy has become extremely political and we've seen this in the past with all of those things that you talked about people are angry people want somebody to blame and you know and and uh, understandably so uh, people are demanding accountability and therapy is often functioning as a tool that strengthens the muscles that you may never have used to demand that accountability um it is giving voice to a lot of people who have been scared for whatever reason who have never really thought of themselves as having the agency to ask questions um of the people in power um and therefore making them feel like yeah in, instead of not reacting uh, it is about engaging fully with the shit that's going on i love it because uh we have to treat people as um, they really are Yeah. and the goal of any practice whether it is meditative whether it is counseling whether it is uh, psychiatric has to make people dynamic flexible um clarified to themselves um and effective and if and i say this often enough even on twitter and anything that i write that if your practice is working for you mm. whatever your practice may be you could be painting as a form of therapy you could be doing yoga you could be i don't know what you do but you know whatever you do um you, if your practice is working for you it will show you it will manifest right. in your ability to take on in your ability to do in your ability to be active to be time efficient uh no meditation no therapy no bodywork practice is a magic tool Hmm. all it does is it aligns you which is why i call myself an alignment practice 
okay which means it fits all the bits of you that you are afraid to confront or you don't want to confront for whatever reason or that you've pushed aside or that have gone out of whack into one whole so you become a lean mean machine people have this very wrong notion uh and they do this even with the word compassion right people yeah. think that if you are an aligned person if you're a healed person if you're a compassionate person you have to be sitting there sending out heart stickers to the world okay yes. no um a comp- and the, uh, and an example that i always give even my clients is that Uh, a mother who tells her child that look do whatever you want eat what you want you know there are no rules is not a compassionate mother she's an ineffective mother a compassionate mm-hmm. mother is somebody who says no these are your boundaries these are my boundaries this is where you will not cross the lines these are the rules these are the morals these are the values that is also compassion so there is not nothing passive about healing there is nothing mm. passive about meditation there is nothing passive about therapy and yeah. if it is enabling you to be vocal yeah. um and i think that's a huge function of um of the therapeutic process that you know and we see this forget my what i do my mind body spirit in regular everyday psychoanalytical therapy uh, psychodynamic therapy uh we tell people you need to be able to speak your truth yeah you need to be able to ask for the help you need you need mm. to be able to communicate with your partner with your family the things that are keeping you down and then we know that you know the therapy is working yeah it's that, that's just the way it is throughout and so if more people are speaking then more therapeutic processes are working and that's brilliant i i'm so glad you said that because i have you know i wrote about this last year when i was still at the correspondent and i got a few um, most people were very welcoming of the shift um but a lot of but there were some orthodox practitioners who were not sure that this is the function of therapy that therapy should become like this sort of political tool for political reform almost um and then there of course there are examples after examples of you know uh, mental health professionals coalescing to uh really speak out against uh, you know against all kinds of tyranny and injustice um it has happened through history but somehow this image has stuck that the therapy space is supposed to be neutral so i wonder i wonder whether after politics which has been conquered now faith is the next sort of frontier how does a practice practicing uh, professional who may not have your intellectual background or your training how do they train themselves where does that process begin of opening up their minds um and are there any practical tips are there are there courses they can do other things they can learn so that they become up to speed with this and so when a client comes to them and talks to them they are better prepared to deal with that situation uh firstly i, I also want to address the fact that when people say that they will not consider faith and they will not consider religion or spirituality i think it's very elitist stance mm-hmm. and i'll tell you why because for the common man in a country like india and you can see it with our grandmothers our aunts people within our families you don't have to go very far uh for centuries those of us who have not had access to therapists and counselors and people educated with ivy league degrees and formal ways of uh, disseminating uh, a therapeutic process have gone to religion so i think it's very elitist because what you're essentially saying is there is 
mind body spirit you're saying i will listen to your body that is your somatic uh, expressions i will listen to your mind which means a person essentially has to be articulate and intellectual but uh, whatever spiritual insight intuition understanding faith that you might have i'm going to delete it which means that your hmm. uh, that becomes base that becomes barbaric that becomes uneducated illiterate and i hmm. find it essentially not just elitist i find it also racist hmm. because uh, that's also a very western colonized way of looking at our people hmm. okay and um, i uh, of course go back to the buddha's teachings and one when he began to stand up against the traditions of the day Hmm. one of his fundamental questions was okay but why should i believe this should i believe this just because you're telling me i should i believe this because it's in a textbook i will not believe you i will only follow what i see hmm. and therefore what we today dismiss as anecdotal evidence okay uh the buddha once stood up and said i will only accept what is true to me hmm and that is what became the basis of his enlightenment and awakening in the entire field of buddhism and for him that was his only way to challenge an entire established tradition so today knowing that when i come here and i see people saying oh but how can you base it on anecdotal evidence that is a very colonized textbook based lab based evidence based which means you have to have that kind of equipment and infrastructure to be able to prove these things and mm. i think that when you actually get down to studying these epistemologies and methodologies of buddhism uh, you will find that they have reached uh, a lot what the west today is borrowing as mindfulness has come from these bases that were done without those sort of experimental uh, uh, infrastructure right um and uh, to sorry to answer your question uh, so where can people go to learn i am almost entirely against the certification process that people are getting into because of what i find is the west is therefore coming in saying look what you say is rubbish hmm. i will take what you say i will strip it of all its basis 2500 years of uh, study and uh, text um and i will rejig it in a lab and then you come and pay me uh in dollars to use a part of that to certify yourself mm. i think mm. everybody uh has to find their um modality the mm. way in which they express themselves best i express myself through spirituality through philosophy mm. through indic uh you know methodologies i would be absolutely lousy as a cbt practitioner okay mm. so i don't advocate that anybody pick up something that does not work for them mm. and when i say opens you up i mean i do have clients for instance who come and say um that that's a so and so psychotherapist was very good i really liked them but i didn't like their politics i didn't like their ideology i didn't they 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 felt too bigoted to me uh they would not understand my spiritual leanings i felt afraid to tell them uh, i have even had clients who come and tell me i didn't feel they could handle it if i told them i had suicidal ideations mm. so you have situations where the client is looking after the therapist the reason why i am vocal on social media uh is because if you are going to be my client i need you to know me who I, as i am i need mm. you to know the stances that i take 
I don't want you to have an illusion of me as somebody sitting in a neutral space with no opinion whatsoever. Yeah. I am a living, breathing human being. I have certain opinions. And if you do not align, I'm not saying you have to accept my opinions. I don't get into political arguments in the therapeutic space. But yeah. that contributes to authenticity and honesty. You have to see me as I am. Um, so it's important that when the therapist is with a client, they open up to who they are. Mm. And mm. this is ironically something we tell our clients a lot. That if you don't, if you are not your authentic self, you cannot bring your authentic self to your home situation, to your work situation. The mm. same goes for the therapist. If you are not your authentic self, you cannot mm. bring that self to your work situation. And mm. that openness to everything that the client is. Mm. They might vote for the BJP, they might vote for the Congress, they might be a Trump supporter, they might be, you know, pro-life, uh, mm. I don't know, there might be a number of ideological issues on mm. which we defer. But you have to have the ability to bring all of that into the space, which includes that I believe in God. Uh, you know, I talk to God in my, before I go to bed, I'm mm. angry with him. I need certain interventions. I expect this. And to be able to say, but why in that space? Or to be able to say, I don't feel like living. These are things that um, we think we can hide from clients, but we can't. Hmm. You can't hide your, if you're an authentic counselor or a therapist or a psychiatrist, you cannot hide your uh, reactions. Hmm. And the client senses it like that. So just yeah. be authentic, bring your authentic self, because when you're not open to your authentic self, you're not open to your client's authentic self. Yeah, I guess if somebody were to um, say that they talk to God uh, on a daily basis, uh, there would be uh, a quick reference would be made to the DSM-5 and a diagnosis would be found for it <laughs> and a pathology would be ascribed to it. Um, yeah, you can't. Um, we can't bring that kind of judgment, you know, we can't, we yeah, can't bring that yeah. judgment to people. But uh, what about people who, who have a difficult relationship with faith? Uh, do you only get clients who are aware of your um, leanings, who are aware of your uh, sort of relationship with spirituality and um, they come to you because of that? Or do you also get people who are completely the opposite of what you believe in and they're maybe faithless? Um, and they come to you um, and, and what kind of conversations would you have with somebody like that? Um, I have, a, I, I even have a number of foreign clients who it's completely do not understand the concept of how we accept things like rebirth so easily. Mm. Um, or um, I have clients who are scientists. Mm. I have uh, clients who are rationalists, atheists, um, uh, who are devout Catholics. I have clients who have converted from one religion to another and who have complete dilemmas of faith. Mm. And the thing is, because I use meditation and I use this very logical, epistemological Buddhist process of going, it, it is basically, how do we process the world? Okay, so the mm. way I use spirituality is just boiling it down to how do you process the world? How do you bear witness to the world? And how do you implement that in your daily living? God has nothing to do with it. Divinity mm. has nothing to do with it. I'm the most pragmatic and rational spiritualist possible okay right. Right. Uh, because it's also about getting to the middle path hmm. it, 
in spirituality, if you chase the highs, you will also end up with the lows. Hmm. So my hmm. goal as a therapist is to get my clients into a middle path of whatever they believe in. Where hmm. you're not chasing, if you believe in God, don't go into extremism. Don't go into eternalism. Don't, nor do, should you go into nihilism. What is a middle path that I can bring you to that works for you and that keeps you you know, grounded, but still able to feed your fantasies when you need them to. Um, there are people who might uh, say, you know, the concept of God is an abdication of man's responsibility. Yes, but is it working for you? And in what instances is it working for you? See that. That is what teaches you about yourself as a human being. It is not, is God real? It's a, why do I need to invent him in that in that? Uh, point of time what right. is his utility to me when I am inventing him and what is he what am I abdicating what am mm. I surrendering to him and do I need to address that more so even God becomes a tool for you to reflect yourself and right. in that sense God is a reflection of man right. so I don't really care whether God exists or not mm. I care why mm. you need to invent him the, the zeitgeist right now around therapy, we know that, um, especially what we hear on Twitter and all, all these sort of social media bubbles, um, accessing mental health care is a privilege that is limited to PLUs, people like us. Um, and, you know, we are by and large, and again, this is anecdotal, I haven't done any research on this, but by and large, people who are from a certain uh, socioeconomic background, uh, often with a particular ideological leaning, which is which tends to be left of center, liberal um, people who are. Um, I'm, I'm not talking about uh, spirituality, uh, spirituality-based practices, but more, you know, CBT and no, yeah. the more conventional forms of therapy, psychotherapy. Um, and one word that is often used in that context is that therapy has to be a secular space, and I think this idea that okay, I'm getting into a relationship with a, with a professional who is rooted in spirituality might make a lot of people uncomfortable. And I count myself among them, I guess, when I say this with complete honesty, that I probably wouldn't even know what to expect from that dynamic. Uh, because in my mind, therapy is a secular space. And while, you know, uh, logically, I understand that religion and spirituality are two different things. Um, it takes, it would take a lot of work, I can imagine, for even somebody like me to overcome that uh, baggage, uh, you know, that this is not about religious indoctrination in any way. This is a different journey. My simple answer to that is ask yourself, is my therapy working for me? Is my practice working for me? And if my practice is working for me, am I bringing my whole self to my practice? Uh, am I holding parts of myself back? Am I ashamed of parts of myself? Am I suppressing parts of myself? Uh, do I have full expression? So I think we should be allowed as with our relationships in life to, you know, you have a movie buddy, you have a book buddy, you have a going for a walk in the morning friend and you have, you know, it's completely different from your partner or spouse. Uh, we have, we have friends, we have people who fulfill these different roles in our lives. And I think any quest that you are on internally also requires a multi-pronged approach because sure. we are complex beings.
small example is it's only um if you've noticed a couple of weeks since i started uh, posting my tarot you know i put out a tarot card and i do like a i don't do divination but i like to use the cards for symbolism and i've always been attached to the cards now for almost 20 years i would say hmm. but i have never told anybody because i have always thought that i would be seen as a mumbo jumbo person let's circle back into end this uh, amazing conversation um suppose i am a person who uh, is desperately looking for help i don't know where to even begin looking for help um and but i am wary of the sort of you know you you said mumbo jumbo person um but there is this conflation between what is called healing uh, wellness professional mental health practitioners uh, and it's it's it can it's quite a jungle out there with a lot of people yeah. with very dubious antecedents you know peddling their wares what would be your advice to somebody if they were to look for a solid uh, a practitioner rooted solidly in spiritual practices and also brings in counseling psychology like you do what should be the red flags you know um, when they go to a therapist and you know what should they be looking out for snake oil salesman tips <laughs> okay snake yes. oil salesman tip number 1 is if you get promised something do this and in right. 10 days you will be cured mm-hmm. okay treat mm-hmm. them like you would a chit fund wala give me you know all your money and i will double it in in uh, <laughs> right. 6 months yeah. run okay just run yeah. Yeah. okay first is anybody who promises you anything second is anybody who claims to be able to get into your mind and body and switch things around okay okay they do uh, that the, oh, yeah i <laughs> switch things around you must tell me more about that what fix does it mean you. fix you fix you okay okay, fix you. okay. Uh, okay. so i can enter into your mental space yeah. and i can you know align you no 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 no, no. Yeah. any practice has to enable you to do the work hmm. that person cannot do the work if you are going even if you are going 100% spiritual and you are going to a master your guru or you know spiritual practitioner the good ones will never tell you that i will transform you hmm. the transformation is always yours right you have to do the work okay um you have to put in the hours you have to regulate the practice the hmm. third is a person who doesn't take questions and the fourth if what they tell you to do is too esoteric and not pragmatic hmm. if you cannot actually do what they ask you to do hmm. um it's it's not enough hmm. you have to be able to knock at it and say okay but how do i use this if you cannot use what you are being given it is absolutely useless it can be the best psychological theory psychiatric theory or spiritual philosophy how do i put it into use in my everyday life mm. and the fifth mm. is is it helping it's just very plain and simple is it helping you thank you this is a uh, very enlightening thank you it is a challenging conversation for me more than i might have let on um and we all have our own conditioning and our own biases that we bring to these conversations no But absolutely and religion and spirituality deserve them they've allowed all the rubbish to proliferate for way too long and uh, yes um you know people have a right to question what i what i mean to say is don't be whether you're a therapist or whether you're a client or a patient mm. or a whatever a practitioner 
don't become afraid to question faith hmm. because it is in the questioning that you claim ownership of it if you've liked this consider subscribing to sanity by tonmai until next time may sanity be with you